progress, growth, change, maturity. These words might fill us with energy, or they might fill us with cynicism. Is progress in our spiritual lives even possible? And if so, how do we measure it? How can we see and celebrate growth in ourselves? How can we pursue progress in a way that really lasts? Maybe it's time to look at these ideas through new eyes. Eyes that see both our innate belovedness and the possibilities in our becoming. Maybe it's time to see some progress. so good to see your faces this morning. I am Melody and I'm one of your pastors here and after being gone for a couple weeks it is even more joyful to be back with all of you today. So I'm so glad that each of you guys are here for the next part of our progress series and um, it's been a pretty beautiful series already so far. If you have not heard the messages I encourage you to tune into the podcast and listen in because we've gotten some really, really important teaching in this series. And what a great way to kick off the new year, um, talking about progress. So Benjamin gave us a beautiful intro to the series a couple weeks ago, talking about what progress can really look like and how we can really measure spiritual progress, because that can sound like a difficult conversation um, and a conversation that I think has been abused a lot in the church. And so that's not what we want to do here. We want to really look at what progress really, really means. And Benjamin defined it as, um, <laughs> sorry, I lost my place, guys. <clears throat> Benjamin defined progress as the measurable growth that we experience as we become our truest selves in God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in all of the messages of this series. Um, and then Brett taught about the coil last week, which was an outstanding message um, about how, like we've already talked about multiple times today, about how it can seem like when we're coming around to challenges that we feel like we've already experienced before, coming around to our own shortcomings that we feel like we've already battled through before, or coming around just to the same difficult parts of life that we feel like, man, I thought I already had a victory here. And what do we do when we experience it over and over again. And he talked to us about the fact that it's not the same problem. It's not the same challenge because we are different people. And every step along the way is growth. And we can experience progress as a coil. And so it might take a long time to get to grow to this place of Christ coming fully alive in us. But every step, even the times when we have to fight the same battles again and again, is progress is growth. And he talked about how that sort of progress we can rejoice in, right? He talked about the Romans 5 passage that said, we rejoice in our sufferings because our sufferings build perseverance, and that perseverance builds character, and that character builds hope. Hope that we can actually make progress. Hope that we can actually grow to become our fullest selves in Jesus. And that brings us to today's message which is a message about the cave, the cave. You might have noticed the songs this morning were already pointing to this message and Jordan's family business was perfect because sometimes when we're on that coil and we come to experience a really difficult problem, 
maybe one that we fought before, or maybe something totally new and different. It doesn't feel like progress at all. We feel like we're stuck in a cave, and we feel like all of the steps of progress that we have made in our life suddenly don't matter anymore. We feel like we have lost it all, right? That's what it means to be in the cave. So we've been thinking and praying about this progress series for a couple years now. It's been on our list of series, conversations that we wanted to have here at Element. And we've been thinking and praying about the right time to have this conversation. And I can tell you that when we laid out this series, and when I, even when I agreed to speak on the cave message, it, I didn't think that this would be the metaphor that I most personally identify with. But I can tell you today that it is, and not just for the sake of the broken arm. <laughs> Um, but I can tell you that today I'm speaking to you from a cave. And so today there's going to be some teaching, but there's also going to be some testimony. And I hope that in sharing my story with you a little bit, you can be encouraged in your own too. So the reality of this life, as we work to make real progress in our growth and in the kingdom of God, we will experience caves. We will, right? So a cave, for the purposes of this teaching, is a place where everything seems lost. It's a place where everything is, feels like it's been ripped away from us, and every step of progress we thought we had made has disappeared, right? And we feel trapped, and we feel desperate, and we feel afraid in the cave. And it's the place where most of the light has been lost, and we feel alone in the dark. So today we're going to talk about what kind of caves we might find ourselves in, and then we're going to talk about what to do when we find ourselves in a cave. Because the question we're going to ask is, how can we possibly make progress in a cave, right? Seems like we're paused on this coil. It seems like we're paused on this path. We're stuck in a cave, so what sort of progress can we make? So here's something to remember as we engage this discussion today. Progress in the cave is not really about just getting back out of the cave and back on the straight and narrow road to freedom and flourishing. Like, it is that to some degree. But really, progress in the cave is who we become in the cave. That's the progress of the cave. As Benjamin defined, progress is the measurable growth that occurs as we become our truest selves in Jesus, right? So if that's true, then I believe the progress that we make in the cave is some of the most crucial progress we can make in our lives, right? Who do we become in the cave? So not too long ago, I had the joy of watching Frozen 2. Sorry, the children aren't in here today to cheer, but if I were sitting out there, I would be cheering for Frozen 2 because I loved it so much. Um, did not like Frozen 1 at all, really was very annoyed by all the songs and the continual songs that have lasted for how many years has it been since Frozen 1? Um, but I was going to take my kids to Frozen 2, like you do. And so before I went, Benjamin was like, you're going to love Frozen 2. And I'm like, okay, probably not, but that's a nice thought. And he, he was like, no, you're really going to love it. And he was trying to warn me is what he was trying to do. He was trying to prepare my mental state to see this film. And he didn't do a good enough job preparing me because I literally cried for like a it was at least a 30-minute segment straight in that movie. All the things that were tugging on my heart were just there in the open, and it was very beautiful. If you haven't seen it, you really should. So anyway, in Frozen 2, there's a scene in a cave. And Anna, Anna, I don't even know, Anna, is, is in this cave, 
And she is in this place where it feels like all has been lost, like everything has been ripped away, like her sister has died and her kingdom is gone and there's like nothing left. There's nothing left but this cave. And she sings a song in this cave, which is very beautiful. I'm going to read a few of the lyrics to you today. She says, I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. I follow you around. I always have. But you've gone to a place I cannot find. This grief has a gravity. It pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you are lost. Hope is gone. But you must go on and do the next right thing. Now, whether you've seen the movie or not, you can probably resonate with those lyrics. We've probably experienced moments in our lives where those lyrics could be true of us. If we haven't, we will, right? But maybe you're starting to get a picture of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the cave. And maybe a cave isn't the perfect analogy for this sort of life situation. We could call it a pit. We could call it a prison. We could call it a wilderness. I think of Joseph at the bottom of the well, or Daniel in the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, Elijah in the wilderness, Jonah in the whale, Paul in the prison, Jesus in the garden, Jesus in the grave. There's lots of cave stories in the Bible, right? And it tells us these stories because they are a part of our human existence. We are all going to experience a cave. Another movie came to mind as I was preparing for this message. And I, as I have been continuously pondering the idea of a cave for the last few weeks, do you guys, I don't know if you'll remember this movie, is maybe 2010 or something? It was a movie called 127 Hours. Any of you guys remember it? Oh, good, I'll get to tell you the story. So uh, I don't know if we're, oh yeah, we're putting the pictures up, all right. This is a true story, by the way. This is a film um, that James Franco was in, but the man that this actually happened to was very closely involved with the production of this film and says, like, basically everything you see here is exactly what happened. So if you ever want to be extremely emotionally moved by a very difficult situation, this movie will do it for you, for sure. So here's the story. Prepare yourselves. In April 2003, mountaineer Aaron Ralston goes hiking at Utah's Canyonlands National Park. While climbing, he slips and falls, knocking over a boulder, which crushes his right hand and wrist against the wall. He calls for help, but realizes he is alone. Ralston begins recording a video diary to maintain morale as he chips away parts of the boulder to try and free himself and tries to keep warm at night. He rations his food and water to survive the ordeal. He sets up a pulley using his climbing rope in a futile attempt to lift the boulder. Over the next five days, Ralston tries using his pocket knife to cut himself free, but the blade is too dull to cut bone. With no water available, he is forced to drink his urine. On the sixth day, Ralston has a vision of his future son, spurring his will to survive. He fashions a tourniquet from a camelback tube insulation and uses a carabiner to tighten it. Then, using his knowledge of torque, he breaks the bones in his arm and, using the pocket knife, slowly amputates it. 
He wraps the stump to prevent exsanguination and takes a picture of the boulder. He then rappels down a 65-foot rock face using his other arm, drinks rainwater from a pond, and meets a family on a hike who alert the authorities and a Utah Highway Patrol helicopter brings him to a hospital. Now, I use this story, I share the details of this story, not because they are a perfect metaphor for what we are learning about progress, and not because this is a perfect picture of what we should do in a cave, but because of the feelings that it evokes. Those feelings of being trapped there day after day, night after night, six days, unable to move, those feelings of entrapment and desperation, that's the feelings of the cave, right? So with that picture painted, whether you resonate with Anna's song or the stories of scripture or the arm amputee, we're going to talk about what we do with our caves. A few weeks ago, the first chapter of James came to mind as I was pondering my own cave what, pondering what it was going to look like for me to be inside this cave of sorts. And we're going to kind of use this chapter as a guide today. So I'm going to share it in pieces. So first we're going to look at the first part. James 1, starting in verse 2. It says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now, I've heard this passage a bunch of times, and it is always inspiring and beautiful and encouraging. And it reminds me of Brett's message last week, right, about rejoicing and suffering. But when you have fallen into a forgotten crevice in the mountains all alone and had your arm smashed by a boulder and you're forced to drink your own pee, it's a challenge to see that as a sheer gift, right? It's a challenge to just sit there in the suffering and let it do its work, right? Now, I know that's an extreme example, but the fact is when we are suffering in these cave sorts of places, it feels extreme. It does. I know it does. So how do we get to the place where we experience the cave as a sheer gift. And how do we get to the place where the progress we make in the cave leaves us mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way? So let's think for just a minute about what caves we might find ourselves in. We might find ourselves in a cave of our own making, right? Sometimes we make poor choices in life that lead us to a place like this. And it might not be all our fault, right? It's usually not. There's always factors. But we can see overall this cave is one of our own making. Or we might be in a circumstantial cave. Circumstances happen to us that were not foreseen, were not expected, could not have been avoided, and land us in a cave, right? That could happen. Sometimes we might end up in a life altering cave. Whether it's of our own making or whether it's a circumstantial one, sometimes the caves change us forever. Richard Rohr wrote a book called Falling Upwards, which I would totally recommend. And in this book, he talks about a life-altering experience like this. And he says that something like this has to happen to you at some point in your life to take you to the second phase of life. 
to take you to the phase of life where you're no longer living from your ego, but you're living from your soul. And he says that that sort of a cave, it has to happen to you. <laughs> it has to be a failure beyond your control or an illness or a loss or a sickness so extreme that it changes you forever. And he says it has to happen to you because if you try to choose it, you either wouldn't choose it, right? Not many of us would choose such extreme circumstances. Or you would try and control it, <laughs> right? You would try and say how it's going to go. I know that I would. I know that I have, right? But there is a part of the cave that involves a loss of control. That's part of what it means to be in the cave. So whichever sort of caves we find ourselves in now or in the future, there's progress to be made, right? Both the progress out of the cave and the progress of who we become in the cave, right? So what does progress look like in the cave? Anna's song gives us a little clue, right? The next right thing. And honestly, if progress in the cave has a mantra, it could be that, the next right thing, yeah? But I think we can take a closer look at what those next right things are because I believe there is an order of progress in the cave. I believe there's a flow of experience in a cave that leads us out and that makes us more like Jesus. So I think it looks a little something like this. Acknowledgement. Adoration, authenticity, surrender, discernment, and action. Now, as I was thinking and praying and very personally living out these things, one of my favorite psalms came to mind. And as I read it, I realized this flow is right here. So we're going to take a look. It starts out with the acknowledgement piece in Psalm 143, starting in verse 3. Acknowledgement. The enemy hunted me down. He kicked me and stomped me within an inch of my life. He put me in a black hole, buried me like a corpse in that dungeon. I sat there in my despair, my spirit draining away, and my heart heavy like lead. That's, that's a pretty solid acknowledgement of the situation. There's, there's no pretending there. That's pretty dark, right? And the psalmist is saying it. I acknowledge I am in a pit. I am in a black hole, and my heart is heavy like lead. Like lead. But then we go to the next piece, adoration. And he writes, I remembered the old days. Went over all you've done. Pondered the ways you've worked. Stretched out my hands to you, as thirsty for you as a desert is for rain. Adoration, right? I remember who you are. I remember what you've done. And then, authenticity. Authenticity. Hurry with your answer, God. I'm nearly at the end of my rope. Don't turn away. Don't ignore me. That would be certain death. And then, surrender. If you wake me each morning with the sound of your loving voice, I'll go to sleep each night trusting in you. Then, discernment. Point out the road I must travel. I am all ears, all eyes before you. Save me from my enemies, God. You're my only hope. 
And then, action. Teach me how to live to please you because you're my God. Lead me by your blessed spirit into cleared and leveled pasture land. There it all is, right there in the psalm. The flow of life and progress in the cave. Because doing the next right thing doesn't mean necessarily doing the next right action to get out of the cave, right? It involves this whole flow. If we're really going to be transformed in a cave, it involves the whole flow. And sometimes we have to start at the beginning of this list every day. Sometimes every hour. Sometimes every moment. So let's break these pieces down. Acknowledgement. This is the one I really don't like. So (laughs) the thing about me is that I've seen this cave coming for myself for a while now, for a few months. Uh, Physically, I felt a strange amount of fatigue and weird symptoms that have continued to get worse over the last few months. And I've been ignoring it for a while. And a a couple months ago, I told the elders, I'm probably going to need to take a break in the spring to like figure out what's going on with my stressors and my body because I'm not getting better of these things, right? But I wasn't like, but I'm not like, I mean, everything's fine. Everything's fine, people. But like, you know, I'm just going to have to deal with this at some point. Just saying. So then at Christmas, all the stressors and all the issues came together, started this fun parade of physical manifestations in my body and my mind. And I dealt with all of them as I could, but I kept pressing on. And I had, we had planned three different trips and running a marathon in the three weeks right after Christmas. And I had hit the wall I had been afraid to hit. Basically, the day before Christmas Eve, I'd hit it. But I like wasn't ready to acknowledge that I was there. So my plan was to go ahead and carry on with all of these trips and the marathon and like deal with this other stuff later. And then along came this broken arm. (laughs) And I wish I had time to tell you the whole story of this broken arm today. Please do ask if you'd like to know, because it's a great tale. But Hannah and Chris don't like it, because they played a part. But anyway, um, this arm happened. And it was such a bizarre series of events that it was like the most giant wake-up call that could ever be heard for me, uh, that it was time to stop. It was time to stop and just be in this cave for a while. And I had to put down the trips, and I had to put down the speaking engagements, and I had to put down the marathon, and I had to stop. And it was really hard. And the experience, this experience, took away all of my coping mechanisms and left me fully present to the pain. And when we become fully present to the pain, that's when we can acknowledge the case. That's when we can acknowledge it. So I I was in the cave, and in order to begin to do anything about it, I had to acknowledge the fact that I was there. I had to, right? I had to accept that I had been knocked down on my face, and I was not getting right up again this time. And to be honest, I have to come back to this place of acknowledgement multiple times every day right now because this is not my pace of living. It's not. And I don't want to be sick anymore, and I don't want to be tired anymore. I want to just, like, snag my maturity out of the cave and carry on my merry way, right? That's what I would like to do. But if I start down that path of pushing too hard, that's the opposite of progress, right? I didn't come to this cave to rip my arm off. 
I came to this cave to heal, right? So yesterday, I had to spend the whole day in bed so that I would have enough energy to come here today. And when I'm done, I'm probably going back to my bed because that is the pace of life that I'm living right now. And it is shocking and strange, and I feel like I'm accepting it more while I'm here telling you, so hooray. <clears throat> but I'm being told I may be this way for a while. And that's really hard, and I have to acknowledge it every day. So what about you? Is there a place in your life to acknowledge a place of pain, a place to become present to the pain? Because if we can do that, then there's progress to be made, right? So the next right thing after acknowledgement is adoration. Adoration. You know, my Christmas message, I was on my way here, I think, talking about falling on our knees, on our face, before God in adoration, because that is the response of the human heart to Jesus. And I remember the the night of this broken arm situation when everyone was telling me I was headed for surgery and all of this extra stress, I was on my knees begging for mercy because that was the only posture my heart could find, right? And that's the right posture in any circumstance, but certainly in the cave is adoration. And I have found that there's something extra powerful and extra beautiful about adoration in the cave. And when I do my examine prayer every day and I recognize the presence of God with me in that moment and I thank him for being my healer and my redeemer and my deliverer and my sustainer, there's something more powerful about believing that truth from the cave place, right? That adoration is life-changing. It is. So what comes after adoration? Authenticity. Authenticity. Little more than just acknowledgement is the authenticity of how we're feeling in the cave, right? With ourselves, with God, with our community. There must be authenticity or we will just be stuck. We'll just be stuck. If we're pretending like we're okay, if we're pretending like we're not scared, we're not going to progress very far because caves are scary. That's literally the nature of the cave, right? If you're not scared, it's probably not a cave. So authenticity. Speak the pain and speak the fear. And over the last few weeks, I've found myself particularly frustrated with my fear because all of these head trauma symptoms make me think of all of the things that it could be, which I still don't exactly know what it all is. And I'm scared. I am. And I'm really mad that I'm scared because... I feel like that's a loss of progress, right? I feel like I know better than this. I trust God more than this. Why am I allowing fear to my heart? Why? I don't like it. So does it mean that I've lost myself? Does it mean that I've lost my progress? No, I do not believe that. Caves are scary. It's the nature of the cave. If we weren't terrified, it wouldn't be a cave. So the progress of the cave isn't necessarily about how we show up in the moments of deepest adversity. It's about how we allow those moments to transform us, right? We don't build more courage if we don't face our fear. We have to face it. We have to feel it. And we have to be authentic about it because when we are, there's more progress to be made, right? So after the authenticity, 
The next right thing is surrender. Surrender. We finally come to the place where we say to God, like, this is too scary and too big and too dark for me to find my own way. So I surrender. Please help me. I can't do this, so you have to. I can't do this, so you have to, right? And this is the part where we really have to lay down the coping mechanisms that have been keeping us from acknowledging the cave or that have just been keeping us steady on whatever we've been doing in life, right? That would have numbed us, that have comforted us. There are very few coping mechanisms left in the cave because if we had them, we wouldn't be so desperate to get out, right? I could tell you about mine, but our time is short today. But I will just say, running is the way that I deal with my stress. And I can't run right now, and it's hard. And the other way that I definitely deal with my stress, even more than running, is accomplishing. If I'm having a rough day, I will get to my checklist, and I will get the things done, and I will feel better. That's how I handle my life. And in this season, when I can't do that, like it's not that I, I can't even choose to do it. I can't, and it's all the coping mechanisms are gone, right? But that's the place where we can say, I can't do this, God. You have to do it, right? Surrender, surrender. And then discernment. The next right thing after surrender is discernment. Okay, God, if you're going to do this, um, please tell me what to do. Like, please tell me, well, the next right thing is to do. I'm ready to listen, Lord. Speak, please. And I will tell you, in a cave, people have a lot of advice for you. And it's both wonderful and terrible. But I can tell you this. If somebody could rescue you from your cave, they already would have. If somebody could rescue me from mine, they already would have. The cave is a place where it's just you and Jesus. And you got to listen for his voice amidst all the noise. So let's look back at this James passage again to get back to that. Starting in verse 5. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believing without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. James is tough. James is tough even on the cave people, but he's right. Like, he's right. I had done the worrying thing in the cave, and that's exactly what you feel like, is a wind-whipped wave. And when you add in all the, all the voices, all the options open, you feel it even more, right? But what if we pray like David prayed in the cave, remember? He said, if you wake me each morning with the sound of your loving voice, I'll go to sleep each night trusting in you. Point out the road I must travel. I'm all ears, all eyes before you. Save me from my enemies, God. You're my only hope. Teach me how to live to please you because you're my God. Lead me by your blessed spirit into cleared and level pasture land. I believe if we pray like that, or whatever the honest <laughs> cries of our hearts are, he does answer. He does. And that is the beautiful part of the cave, right? And it brings us to the next right thing, which is action, right? We, we take the step. We take, 
we take the next step. Whatever it is, I hope that it won't have anything to do with a water tube and a carabiner, right? But whatever it is, we do it. We take the step. And then we start the whole flow over again. We start the whole flow over again. We take a step. We're still in the cave. We got to acknowledge it again. And then adoration and then the rest of it, right? Acknowledgement, adoration, authenticity, surrender, discernment, action. And here's what will happen. Progress, right? We'll make our way out of the cave. We will. But more than that, the progress of the cave is about who we become. Who we become when we live in that flow. Because I'm pretty sure that flow we can take with us out of the cave. I'm pretty sure that flow we can live in every day of our life right? And maybe that's what it looks like to live from our soul instead of our ego. We'll make our own way in our becoming. The next piece of the James passage is very beautiful. Let's look at it. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Don't let anyone under pressure to give into evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give into evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby, sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. So, my very dear friends, Don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. Rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. I envision those rivers of light into, into Anna's cave, into the lion's den, and the fish's belly, and the grave. I envision them into depression, and failure, and grief, and loss, and sickness, and your story, and my story. Rivers of light, cascading from the Father of light. So may that be our prayer. As we work through our caves, as we progress out of them, and as we become, because of them, light. Light is what we pray for. And he will illuminate our way out of the cave. So the band can come up. We're going to sing one last song. You know, Benjamin has taught us about caves before. He's lived through them. He's learned from them. And as he reminds me from time to time, Maybe it doesn't have to be, maybe cave isn't the right metaphor either. Maybe the metaphor is a womb, right? A womb where the life of Christ is growing and becoming ready to be birthed in us in a deeper way than we've ever experienced before, right? Because in the darkness and the fear and the uncertainty and the suffering, Rivers of light are being birthed, not just around us, but in us. 
in us, right? And it changes everything. And when we emerge from the cave, we emerge transformed. If we choose it, if we lean into it, we emerge transformed for the better, right? Not changed into something else, as Benjamin taught us at the, fir the first series, lesson in this series. Not changed into something else, but becoming more of who we were created to be, right? So let's pray. God, I pray your mercy over us today. I pray your presence and your spirit over us today. As we think about caves we've lived through, or maybe that we're living in in this moment, God, I pray that you would speak the truth that light is here. Light is here in every story, in every heart that looks for it. God, you will bring it. You will birth it not just around us, but in us. I pray that we would take this learning today, that we would take this encouragement today, that we would take this psalm and pray through it and believe that it's true because it is true. I pray that you will do such beautiful things on the other side of our caves, but even more for the beautiful things that you'll do right in the middle of them. We trust you, and we love you, and we worship you today. In your name we pray.